If you oversell somebody, there's a good chance that they'll drop out or they won't last or, you know, and the worst thing a recruiter can do is oversell and have people leave after three months or whatever. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Whitby, and we're joined today by Brian Adams. Brian is the CEO and founder of PH Creative, an award-winning employer branding agency with offices in Liverpool, London, San Diego, and Auckland. They work with famous brands such as Apple and Nike, and Brian helps his clients define their essence as a company, both in its uniqueness and what it stands for, and then crafts and aligns those aspirations with the people his clients are looking to attract. He's also a two times bestselling author. His latest book is Give and Get, Repel the Many and Compel the Few with Impact, Purpose, and Belonging. Great title. Looking forward to learning more about that shortly. Brian's written for the Harvard Business Review, Inc.com, and Entrepreneur Magazine. He's been featured in Forbes. Brian, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Mark, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on today. So, Brian, you're I think you're from Liverpool, but now live in San Diego. I'd love to hear that story. My daughter is going to university in Liverpool right now. She's in her first year at Liverpool Hope. Um, right. And and we've been there many times. It's a great city. How long have you lived in San Diego? It's coming up to six years now. Um, so it was a pure business decision in the first instance, but I ended up staying for a woman, fell in love. Ha <laughs> I know that story well. That's the same reason I'm over here. So uh, <laughs> San Diego is a beautiful part of the world. So, you know, I am slightly jealous. I was there in uh, spring last year, 2023. I was invited to speak at a conference for the Pinnacle Society, which is a collective of some of the top recruiters in the United States and uh, just love San Diego. It's a fantastic place. I am envious of, uh, of, of you living <laughs> in the warmth and, and sunshine there. You launched your employer branding and talent uh, attraction agency in 2004, almost 20 years ago. How did you get into this mm -hmm. line of work, Brian? Well, it's more by good luck than anything else. Um, I spontaneously quit a job I loved because a boss was really mean to me in front of about 50 people. Um, oh. And I didn't say anything. I just, yeah, I just quietly got up, left, and, and didn't go back. In fact, that was that was March 30th, 2004, and PH was incorporated March 31st, 2004. And I was just- Wow, It was okay. one of those things. Yeah, it, yeah, it was spontaneous, and I was determined to prove that you could be successful in business and, and not treat people so so badly. Uh, so that was the start of the journey 20 years ago, um, you know, and we started out as a general marketing organization, fell into um, employer branding because we started working with a, a couple of organizations that needed our services, but on the recruitment side. Uh, mm. So it was more good luck and, and good fortune than, than planning. Um, but the more and more we focused in this space, we realized um, marketing directors didn't return our calls, but HR directors did. And uh, the idea of building brand and marketing culture and contributing to people finding great careers that they loved was just a really, really interesting space um, and, and an opportunity that we jumped into, thankfully. Um, and the more we niched down and decided to focus in, the, the more success we had. And it's it's been an exciting journey. 
Amazing. And like fast forward to today, well, on LinkedIn says you have over 100 employees. Is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. It is. Incredible. In fact, you're at, yeah, amazing. And uh, so <laughs> I'm trying to think even when I, because when I started recruiting 1997, um, employer branding wasn't really a thing, at least not, it wasn't mm -hmm. called that. Like what, did people even know what that meant when you started this marketing agency? How did you? How did it kind of evolve uh, to what you're doing today? Yeah, so we we definitely didn't know about employer branding, um, and it's probably we decided to niche down and sort of label ourselves only ten or twelve years ago, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and then, out of naivety and good fortune, again, rather than just accept the conventions of employer brand. We built our own framework and philosophy to, to attack the marketplace, um, which turned out to be very different to the conventions of early day employer brand. And, and that set us up for our next opportunity to, to help differentiate and, and grow. And you know, that, was, that was the start of the give and get philosophy. All right. Let's talk about that then, because um, I'd love to hear an unconventional approach to employer branding and about your your framework in the give and get philosophy. What what does that mean? Like the I love the title of the book, and especially the mm -hmm. idea of attracting the few or compelling the many, attracting the few. Because um, you do, when people talk about employer branding, they don't really, at least I have never come across the idea of actually building a brand that repels the wrong people. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting, still uh, in a recent survey, 70% of employer brand leaders still cite an increase in volume of applicants and traffic to their career site as a success metric when delivering an employer brand. I've never met a TA leader, a talent attraction leader that just wants more applicants, more, more noise, mm. more admin, more work to get to the people who are ideally matched. So you know, and you look at great places to work and all of the badges of honor that are in our industry, it all points to wanting to be an intangible version of the best or the most attractive. So, you know, we, we just sort of disagree with that convention. And the idea is if you're confident and clear enough to know your culture and what it takes to drive the organization forward, and you also can answer some fundamental questions of not just why people join, but why they stay, then you can you can craft a, a give and get um, proposition, which is a two-way value exchange of not just what you stand to get as an employer, but actually um, what you're willing to, to give in return. Candidates and employees alike can make very informed career decisions as to whether it's an ideal match. So rather than set out to be a magnet to attract, doesn't it make more sense to be a smart filter to repel the majority of the open market towards your organization and compel those who your message really resonates. So with eyes wide open, they're walking into um, their next career move, not despite the harsh realities and adversities they're going to find, but because of them. You know, and if you think about it, every organization has the elements of challenge and tough aspects, and some people like that. And, and rise to those challenges. And some people see it as a, a barrier or a frustration or a negative aspect of, of their quality of life. And being able to distinguish between those two things means that you can align what the company needs 
to move forward with what people mm-hmm. want and how they are made to feel in the employee experience. So that's that's the essential. That's that's the premise, and we've we've really found that it's helped us differentiate in the marketplace. And now it's it was a bit of a maverick idea ten years ago, but now actually I think many people would agree it's it's become the new norm in our space. You know, so that's that's our little ding in the universe in in, in the world of employer brand. Fantastic. Okay, this is cool. So. I- can you give me more detail? Like, how does that actually work? What is the 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 smart filter, and um, what is like in practical terms? What does that look like? So yeah, let, let me give you an example. Like two companies that we've worked for, Apple and Microsoft. Now on paper, there's actually quite a lot of similarity. They're massive, giant tech companies. There's opportunity to innovate in in both. You know, there's they're massive organizations um, with a lot of similarity in terms of the, the the structure and career opportunity and all the rest of it. Now, having worked with both those organizations, I can tell you that the culture and the experience are are so different, it's unbelievable. So if we take Apple, they're very organic and there is very little structure, believe it or not, inside of Apple. It's much more... Uh, relationship-based, which is remarkable for such a big organization, whereas Microsoft is hierarchical, structured, and and, and very clear from that perspective. Um, so somebody who would thrive in Microsoft with the same professional skills might actually find Apple a nightmare and vice versa. Um, mm. So and uh, you know, working with Apple quite a lot, it's a few years ago now, but... Um, what we found was there's no work-life balance whatsoever in, in Apple. They've got very high standards. There's relentless pressure to deliver on difficult deadlines continually. If you don't make the effort to get to know the people around you, they won't help you. If you're there for them, they'll do anything for you. Um, it's a matrixed organization, um, so it really is about um, building community and so on and so forth. The... The work-life balance aspect is a really good example. There's people working at Apple who will do a 14-hour day and they'll go home and they'll carry on working because they love it. They're obsessed. Now, if we just pause there, I mean, I could go on and and describe different attributes of of the Apple culture, but just that work-life balance aspect, that is enough for some people to run for the hills and think, oh my goodness, I couldn't possibly work there. The other aspect of, of Apple is there's no egos, there's no independent, personal, individual praise. It's about team, team, team. So that is another reason some people would say, oh, goodness, I don't even get recognized for my work, that's all. But for the right type of person who are obsessive about quality and seeing their work in the hands of millions of people who buy into the purpose aspects and the, the contribution making a difference and the sense of belonging and a high-functioning team and really finding out what they're really capable of with, with the support network that is Apple, it's very, very compelling. And the idea is if you can galvanize everybody together inside the organization around common purpose and a common sense of purpose, impact, and belonging, at the same time as polarizing an external audience by putting people to a decision and, and more people run away from the opportunity than, than lean in towards it. Now we've got something which is a sharp tool that is very, very functionally valuable to the organization to build, nurture, and protect a culture 
that is conducive to driving an organization forward and also something that fosters a sense of appreciation and acknowledgement and identity for those who thrive within that culture you know so um so that's that's the approach and it's been battle tested for a decade uh and it, and it works fantastic example that makes total sense and i hadn't really ever thought about it that way until you explained that so can you walk me through what's the process when you're working with a a, a company to enable them to attract the right people what what is that process uh like the discovery and then the execution in order to help them to um you know to to build that i mean i'll, I'll give you the cliff notes version um the the, the key the key aspect of it is the research, you know, and what we're looking for is something authentic enough for employees to try on and, and recognize their personal experience in the messaging that we're putting out. It has to be steeped in, in reality. But actually, the employee view is essential from a, an end product perspective. But there's two other views that are really important as well from research and uh, strategy perspective, and, and that is the leadership view. So understanding mm -hmm. the direction of the organization, the capability requirements from talent, um, from the eyes of the leaders. And the third is the market view. So what are we trying to differentiate against and, and compete with in, in a marketplace? So we use a variety of different tactics and techniques of research. We distill that down and what we're looking for is a, a common thread. Now, in a global organization with a complex talent audience, the view from finance to a manu manufacturing plant to sales and a variety of different geographies could be very different. But what we're looking for is the same, the values, the same mindset, the same cultural attributes, such that we can build a campfire that everybody recognizes. Now, it, it, might, it might turn up differently, so the stories at the local end of the spectrum will be different, but, but that's okay. So it's it needs to be um, consistent enough for everybody to buy into and recognize and agile enough to be able to tell stories across the business in different ways. Um, so we we retain the, the authentic nature of the employee experience as well. So it's a careful balance. So we go through the research, we distill that down we segment it and make sure we're looking at it from a view of seniority, tenure, geography. Um, so we really do get a 360 view. And then we build a strategy which is um, designed to, to be a, a very tangible bridge between the reality of today and the aspiration of tomorrow and very clear steps in between of what it's going to take for the organization and individuals to move the organization forward. And, and that is a very, very important factor. A, a, lot, of, a lot of people in, the, in our industry think in order to be authentic, it needs to be a snapshot of reality of today. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a big mistake, um, which we can dive into if you like. But from a strategy perspective, we then bring it to life. Um, you know, we walk through building a reputation clarifying the proposition and then designing the employee experience to align um, all of those those elements. So it's really interesting because you, you're going to an organization and they have an established culture and 
<clears throat> they may or may not already have, you know, a, a great employer brand. And I guess if they're working with you, it's something that they are proactively wanting to mm -hmm. develop and improve upon. Um, but sure, that must be really hard. How do you really change an employer brand? Um, especially like I think in a startup or something which is already uh, very, you know, fluid, I would imagine it's a little bit easier. But for an established company, um, you know, and how do you how do you uh, connect with the authentic current reality as well as the vision for the future? And then, you know, put steps in place to actually shift in that direction that I, especially with a massive organization, that sounds really challenging. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it is challenging. Um, it's, it's simple, but it isn't easy. Um, right. You know, so good. Under, yeah. Understanding the, the right questions to ask the right information to, to put the puzzle together such that mm -hmm. it adds up and makes sense for the organization and is still compelling to a segment of the talent audience enough to fill, put bombs on seats, but the right people, uh, mm -hmm. where they're going to find a sense of acknowledgement and, and appreciation. That's, that, that is the challenge. New organizations, it's a fantastic gift because you can design a fully aspirational culture to then step into. Um, yes, but every established organization, they have an employer brand, whether it's been designed or not. It's just whether it's conducive and compelling, uh, you know, and obviously that's the trick. Exactly. Well, okay. Do you know what helped me to get my head around this, Brian, is what are the building blocks or the component parts of a great employer brand? Okay. Good question. Um, so the first thing is the the employer brand essence, the sort of the tagline, if you will. So if it was consumer brand, it'd be, you know, not, and we use Nike as the example, it would be the just do it. Now that needs to be the start of a conversation where people can look at the sentiment of what you're saying and be intrigued or make an interpretation that, you know, gets attention and leads to whether it, it's going to create affinity with an audience. Beneath that, there's then a very clear uh, proposition developed. So, okay, what's what's the deal? Uh, if you come and work for us, you can expect to find X, Y, and Z. P typical people join us for this reason, but the reason they stay are A, B, C. You know, and, and that is a very simple proposition that needs to be true across the organization. And then we get to a subset of communications and language where we can get to the detail of teams, um, individual roles, you know, so we're looking to put a toolkit of communications together so we can put it in the hands of hiring managers and recruiters and ambassadors and advocates to really offer a consistent voice of what it's like to work at this organization, why people join, why they stay, uh, you know, what, what is the, the opportunity of, of joining this organization? So the one message needs to do a job of engagement and, um, and uplifting and galvanizing people internal, internally, as well as creating a compelling offer externally. Awesome. Okay. So there's the essence, which is like the tagline or the core. Then there's mm -hmm. the proposition, the deal, like, why do people join? Why, why do they stay? And then there's the communication toolkit around that to make sure that hiring managers, recruiters 
have a consistent voice in the marketplace and, and that's going to attract or repel the right sorts of individuals. Is there anything else? So typically, um, in order to build out that, that communications framework, we use the idea of pillars, you know, so that the core themes found mm-hmm. across the research. Um, and that's when we take <clears throat> it a step further and we make sure that there is a clear give and a clear get for each one of those themes. Um, for large organizations, it's it's typical now for us all to do for us also to do what's called persona research. So we'll segment the talent yep. audience. And you know, we, we don't necessarily create new insights or aspirations of, 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 of the culture there. But what we do is we then determine, okay, what of the culture do we dial up and dial down based on the priorities and preferences of each talent segment? And that allows our recruiters and hiring managers and, and uh, everyone in the organization to then engage in conversation with context of who's in front of them. You know, and that, that makes organizations much more competitive um, in the marketplace, both internally and externally as well. So they're the main core components. Could you say more about the pillars or core themes? So if we do our research, we, we want to distill that down into what we found. And typically there's sort of, there's, there's buckets of insight that would, can all be grouped together. Um, so I'll give, you, I'll give you one of my favorite examples, actually. If, you think, um, if you're familiar with VF Corp, so that's the organization behind Vans, the North Face, Timberland, Supreme. One of the themes that we found in that organization, which was fascinating, was everybody was really nice and polite. And there was a, an amazing sense of camaraderie and teamwork and positivity and ethics and integrity. You know, there was, there was no, there was nobody with um, sharp elbows or there was no spiky prickly people there. They just didn't last. And that was a theme, whether it was in a manufacturing plant, in a retail store, in head office, in marketing and finance, and it was remarkable, remarkably consistent. However, what was abundantly obvious from the gap in the research and feedback from across the business was there was a sense of being too nice to the point where people didn't want to disagree. There was a lack of challenge it delayed decision-making because people didn't want to um, be seen to have an ego or, or be too assertively you know, aggressive in a situation. So we built a pillar around um, radical candor, if you remember that book, and you know, it was very much of the time a few years ago. And what it said was um, holding people to compassionate accountability is part of our employer brand to solve for something that is universally showing up across the organization. It told the story of, we are very proud of how nice we are and how um, supportive and positive and inclusive we are. And we're going on a journey to of compassionate accountability. And part of that is radical candor. And we give you permission with compassion to give honest feedback for the good of you, for the good of others, for the good of the team. And that was the start of a, of a transformational change across the organization in line with something the leaders recognized that needed to change, but anchored in the reality of today. 
Um, so that's just one theme of the VF solution that was universally recognized and very, very valuable in, in, in terms of maintaining what people valued about part of the culture, but also moving the organization forward to a, to a better future. Would you like to make the transition from pure contingency to being a retained recruiter? Do you want to be respected as a true business partner by your clients while increasing your average fee? If so, then clearly you need to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing and expect a different result. Our sponsor, iIntro, gives you a turnkey solution for winning retained searches and managed service agreements at higher fees. You will take business away from your competitors because you can actually show the client a unique methodology in a very tangible way and demonstrate conclusively how you will improve their staff retention and reduce their total cost per hire while also saving hours of management time. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retain. Book a free consultation. There's no obligation, and if you mention that you listen to this podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount on any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. This is fascinating, Brian, because something I hadn't expected really, because when you think of employer branding, you're thinking about marketing and advertising basically, right? Which is, you know, about the messaging, the image, the um, communication. But what you're describing is more about actual, you know, shifting of the culture of the organization itself. Rather, so almost from the inside out rather than just you know, um, painting a pretty picture of what it's like to to work here. So I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't expect that because um, you know normally you wouldn't think of it being a, a you know a marketing agency's job to to consult or a, a assist with cultural change, right? Um, is that was that always part of the mission, or is that something which you've kind of stumbled into and embraced? Like how how did that develop? Yeah, so that's a great question. Our vision is everyone loves their job. So we want to work with the world's largest employees such that they they put out authentic propositions and people can make better career decisions and find purpose, impact, and belonging. Now, our role has a very clear start and stop. You know, we need to put something out that is authentic and conducive for the organization. The overlap between what a CEO wants from a culture and what employees want and expect from a culture is this idea of expectation. And there's two parts to that. One is the cultivation and design of that proposition to set expectations. And the other is the management of it. Now we don't do the management of it, but we do put the tools in the hands of the managers and the words in their mouth to drive it forward. So. We're not responsible for organizational change, but we are responsible for understanding it and equipping the organization to go on that journey. Okay, that makes sense. Is there anything else in your book that, like, uh, obviously I, I now want to read this book, so I have a, <laughs> a, a deeper understanding of this um, of this topic, but what else, what else is in there? So I'm a, a lifelong lover of story, the, this, the idea of story structure 
Um, mm-hmm. And I've studied under Robert McKee, who's like the Yoda of story. And I've interviewed some of the world's greatest storytellers to identify their secrets. And I've developed story structure specifically for employer brand. And a lot of it is 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 in the book. Um, so, you know, knowing the right message and points that you want to make is one thing, but connecting with humans and communicating effectively is another. So, so, so there's a number of techniques from, from that perspective, you know, and the things that you mentioned just there, like we, we do those as well. And like that stuff is in, in the book, but really they're the tactical outputs, um, at the end of cultivating something, which is fit for purpose. So the majority of the book is how to align a reputation as an employer with the organization, and then how to cultivate a proposition which is both compelling and conducive to the organization. So that's um, that's that's the heart of the book. And then um, you know I'm working on my next book now, which is uh, a, a clear gap in the market of um, talking talking to CEOs about culture and what they're looking for, and talking to an employer brand leader. Uh, and and building something there's there's still a little bit of of a gap in between so that's what i'm currently thinking of mm. um hopefully that'll that'll be out uh, later towards this year oh excellent what what is that gap what what's the divergence between what ceos want from the culture versus what you know employees or or brand leaders want so one of the biggest things in our little space i see all too often is employer brand leaders fail to present a credible business case to the leadership of an organization and justify why employer brand is so important. Now, Mm -hmm. you can imagine that frustrates the life out of me. It's sort of life's work, if you like, and I've seen the transformational change it can have. But understandably, I think CEOs and leadership all too often are presented with research from an employer brand perspective and evidence of what the culture is like. And the first reaction is, but that's not the culture I want. So I don't Mm. want you creating a comms framework around the snapshot of today, because that's not gonna drive the organization forward. So there is a miscommunication uh, at a very macro level. And I think part of it is because what, uh, what leadership define culture as is different to what an employee defines culture as. And there's there's a gap in the middle, um, which I intend to fill. Okay, fantastic. What are the mistakes that you see companies making when it comes to employer branding? Another great question, Mark, and I think the biggest one, which I see all the time, and it's human nature, is building an employer brand and and crafting an EVP, which is only consistent of um, the strengths, the benefits and opportunities to be found. In pursuit of being the shiniest, most attractive proposition in the marketplace. And we've got to give our audience a little bit more credit than that because, you know, the average candidate will do research six to eight hours on a brand before choosing whether to decide to apply or not. And that's because they are cynical and skeptical and they have reservations and it can't all be perfect because no job is. So what we found is it's much better to embrace the full 360 of that conversation and not just be more truthful and talk about some of the negatives, but tell your story in the context of why there are harsh realities and adversities to be found. And and actually therein lies the X marks the spot. That's where to dig for the gold that exists in every organization. 
most organizations completely pass this by, but if you talk about those challenges and the adversities, it's the fastest way to discover the unlimited source of passion and pride inside of your organization. So that's the biggest mistake that I see time and time again. Okay, this is fascinating. So let's talk a little more about that. How, first of all, do you uncover those challenges, adverse, you know, adverse situations that are not perfect about the, uh, the, 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 the company or the job? And then how do you how do you use those to in fact, you know, um, you know, a as part of your talent attraction strategy? So you get a room full of software engineers together or marketing executives together in any room, and you start off that one or two hour interactive session by saying, "Let's start here." If it was your job to dissuade somebody from joining this organization and you couldn't lie, what would you say? And you immediately mm. open the floodgates. Everybody has an opinion. Well, you know, there's relentless deadlines. You know, if this work-life balance isn't great and um, you can't work from home now, you've got to come back into the office and all of the things. And you gather all of those, those aspects and people are not backward in coming forward with that stuff. And then once you've collected all that stuff, you ask the simple question, wow, okay, that, that's tough. That's tough. So what's your, if somebody's starting a role based on what we've just discovered, what's your greatest advice for being able to cope or, or dare we say even thrive in this? What does it really take to thrive? And then people are also very willing to share that information with you as well, because of course what they're doing is they're telling you all about what they're very proud of and what they're capable of. And they're talking about their own capability and they'll recognize strengths in others. Quite often that's how they'll uh, communicate the strengths they admire in themselves. They'll project it onto others. Mm -hmm. So now you've got a sense of what it really takes to thrive and some of the, the, the challenges. And then the next question is, wow. So tell us why did you join? And given everything we've talked about, why do you stay? And they will now make the argument that despite everything they've said, it's still a great place of work and they find purpose, impact, and belonging because, and then you listen intently and then you ask a follow-up question and really, really dig, okay, what does it mean to you? How do you find personal purpose? How do you get a sense of impact and that your contribution matters? And how do you uh, feel like you belong? And that's the magic. And I'll tell you, Mark, the best measure of a session like that is how many in the room end up with tears in their eyes telling you a very personal story. And I'm yet to do a session like that where it hasn't happened. Wow, that is really powerful. That's gold right there, Brian. Thank you. That's uh, You've <laughs> given a set of specific questions to sort of unlock, you know, uh, the real, you know, as you, I guess you used the word essence, but the the truth of an organization and and the the both the kind of warts and all story of you know why it's mm -hmm. not perfect but then why people love it anyway kind of thing so that's brilliant and in fact it's a good segue into my next kind of question would because our audience as you know are recruitment agencies staffing companies executive search firms and um so this 
question of the the reputation, the 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 brand of a of an employer is absolutely huge, and yet it's one we don't have a much influence on, right? So, because your 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 job as a recruiter is to be an ambassador for that company, to represent them in the talent marketplace, to tell their story in a compelling way, to get candidates to engage with you and and take an interest, maybe someone who's not looking for a job, who is, you know, happily employed and performing in their current position. And our job as recruiters trying to get their attention, which is difficult in the first place, and get them to actually reply back or or be open to a conversation or open to receiving a little more information about that opportunity. Um, and so the, 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 the messaging and the communication and having a great story to tell is so, so important. Now, a great recruiter can, can help a company with that, but fundamentally they're not, you know, they, they can only work with what's already there, right? They can, uh, they can try and find the, 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 the gold and, um, you know, highlight those things. I, I think, you know, it's really wise what you've said about also recognizing what's not perfect and and being very careful not to oversell the opportunity or misrepresent it and to give a, a positive and yet accurate portrayal of what this company is all about, what it's like to work there, what the opportunity is and isn't and, and so on. But uh, what advice do you have for our listeners in terms of how they can best partner with their client companies uh, mm-hmm. in order to achieve their objectives within the context of, of employer branding, bearing in mind that you know they're not uh, our, our listeners are typically not specialists in employer branding as you are. They're not paid to go and consult or advise. They can give mm-hmm. feedback. They can say, here's what I'm hearing in the market. Here's Often that's the, the the take we are getting is, you mentioned the three sources of research. So there's the leadership, there's the employees, and then there's the market, right? And in terms of what that employer brand is. So when recruiters go out and speak to candidates about the opportunity, they're going to get feedback, which is the perceptions that exist already in the market about that company, about that department, about that job, and uh, positive and and negative, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, what what advice do you have for recruiters in terms of approaching this particular topic in a way that's going to serve them and their their client companies? Yeah, and I think this is the you know the the six million dollar question. And, you know, the best advice there is don't try and out-Google Google. You know, Google can come out in the marketplace and say, we're the best, we're the biggest, we're number one. We've got the best infrastructure. We've got learning and development that's world-renowned. We're going to pay you three times than anyone else and all the rest of it. You go head-to-head with an organization like that, and everybody has their competitive version of Google, then you're going to lose. If we look at David and Goliath, this is my favorite story. Um, and actually my co-author wrote about that in the book. David was never going to lose that fight against Goliath. He was he was always yeah. going to win that fight because um, he used his strengths, which was agility and speed and, um, and everything that was going for him. So we've got to find what are the strengths of our particular situation. You know, we can also take a lesson from the Marines 
99.9% need not apply. Now that's interesting because if you're tapped mm -hmm. on the shoulder and, and you say, look, this isn't right for most people. In fact, here's five reasons not to even consider working here. But if you've got what it takes to thrive in these conditions, here's what we're finding. This, these are the reasons, these are the reasons why there's a small team of incredible people sticking around at this company. Now, if this floats your boat, this benefit and this benefit and this opportunity and these strengths, now we can talk, most people haven't got what it takes or most people can't put up with this or that and be very upfront. Use the eight mile approach if you've seen that movie. You know, get all of the objections out there. Um, you know, and it's almost like a game of poker. You're looking for a reason to play your hand as much as you are to fold it. You're not looking to sell somebody. You're looking to find out if they're a good match and make them lean in. If you oversell somebody, there's a good chance that they'll drop out or they won't last or, you know, and the worst thing a recruiter can do is oversell and have people leave after three months or, or whatever. So psychology tells us, if we tell you, look, you might not be right for this and here's a load of reasons why not. Psych psychology tells us we're creating, um, creating intrigue. And there's a form, a store, I mentioned story structure. There's a formula to this. So the, the, the formula is this, empathy, curiosity, surprise, insight, and action. So let me walk you through that. Empathy is an emotional immediate connection to the organization, what they're trying to do and the purpose and vision of the organization. Curiosity is something that differentiates you from everybody else, um, that, that gets people to lean in. So there's an emotional connection and now we're leaning in. Surprise is, here's three things that you didn't know. You weren't expecting this. So what we're doing is we're playing with, we're opening the, the right side of the mind now, uh, the, the right side of the brain, such that you're now ready to receive facts and information, insights and specifics that you can deliver about the role. So we've talked about the company. Maybe there's curiosity about the team and the specific objectives in that team. Then insight around the specific role. And then we make a call to action. Usually the call to action ties everything together um, from, a, from a purpose perspective. Uh, and if you, if you walk through that formula, it's incredibly powerful if you have a, a proposition that is articulated and it's compelling and true that plays on you know all of the strengths that we've talked about. I love that framework, uh, empathy, curiosity, surprise, insight. What was the last step there? Action. Action, action. yes, the call of course. to action. Yeah, love mm -hmm. it. Um, I've, I have studied story quite a lot as well, and uh, but not in this context. So it's really interesting how you've you've applied that body of work to to helping companies to tell their tell their story. Um, mm -hmm. What got you interested in story? And and if people are want to kind of go deeper on that particular topic, what uh, reference or book would you point them to as a good Starting point. Oh, that's a good question. So Robert McKee, um, he does some great workshops and courses. Um, it's very intense and it's it's actually positioned in the in the industry of Hollywood film and um and script writing, but but it's amazing. Yes. It's a masterclass. Um there's a there's a variety of books. 
the, the classic Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey is probably Hero's one Journey. to... Yeah, that's the one I've yeah. heard of. Um, then you've got um, Houston, We Have a Narrative, which is um, about the and but therefore formula, which is probably the simplest story technique. And then there's a, a litany of a litany of, of others, but that, that should be good to get you started. Michael Haig is another one to look up. Um, Story Wars uh, is a, a fantastic book. Um, there's, there's a lot of material. Uh, we're actually bringing out a storytelling sprint course, which is a, a three-week course in about in about six months' time, specifically to, to offer people accreditations in storytelling for, for, for the employer brand and recruiting space. But oh, that's cool. It's not out yet. Yeah, it's not out yet, but it's, it's, it, it's much needed, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's because I don't know of any... It, that's the thing. People need to read like, you know, the some of the works you've just suggested, whether it's Joseph Campbell or whatever, mm -hmm. but then they need to sort of connect the dots themselves to their own work and, uh, and yeah. find ways to apply it. What, how can people kind of uh, hear more about that course when it's uh, available, Brian? So if you visit um, ph-creative.com, Sign up for our newsletter, make an inquiry, you know, check out our existing sprint courses, or just connect with mm -hmm. me on LinkedIn. So it's Brian Adams, like the Canadian singer, um, spelled the same. That's <laughs> that's going to be really exciting because we've developed story structures specifically for brand awareness, for personal and professional development stories, for um, persona engagement and a variety of specifics. So we've we've done that legwork and that work that you've just talked about, Mark, and I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I would be really interested in that because I this is, as I said, a topic mm. I've thought a lot about, and you know we try and apply it in our writing and our um, our own communications, but I've never seen it directly applied for the sort of talent and uh, and and recruiting space. So yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely interested in that. I. I I made the mistake of asking two questions rolled into one, Brian. So the one that uh, I'd like to go back to is how did you get into, like what sparked your interest in storytelling and, you know, bringing that into your work? How, what does that stem back to? So I am a huge movie goer and, and lover of film. Um, and when when I retire and sell the agency and the consultancy and the, our tech company, I'm, I'm going to make a feature film. In fact, I've, we have a, a small film production company called Reckless Kid, and we, we make um, short films. Uh, I oh, just cool. absolutely, yeah, I absolutely love that space. So it's a, it's a passion of mine. And the more I studied that as a sort of hobby and just sort of went down various rabbit holes, I saw the connection with just communication and, and branding. And it's yeah. a source of joy to connect the two worlds, to be honest, Mark. Interesting. Okay. Do you make films for your clients, like as part or, you know, telling their story through media, essentially? Yeah, absolutely. So we'll make what we call sort of brand essence, cornerstone films, you know, and they can be, you know, the, sh the big showcase sort of stuff. So we do that. More and more now we'll do lower budgets with sort of lesser format, um, you know, so it ranges from the six second story to, you know, the, the three, the three minute brand story and everything in between. And that, that is extremely powerful in, in a world of, of video and, and rich media. It's essential now. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. 
Uh, One more thing I wanted to ask you, Brian, is a lot a lot of the examples you've given have been really huge corporations. Um, do you have a case study or an example which is more of a you know a, a small to medium size business uh, in terms of developing a um, communication and employer branding strategy for for them? Yeah, I mean we you know we we market all of our sort of big global brands. We work with a long tail of mid-sized organizations and we love working with startups with a blank canvas. So it really is, we just, it's an experience by design. We've worked with a variety of, um, of organizations like that. And, and usually it's a very quick, um, cost-effective, short burst of, of thinking. And then all of the budget and time can then go into the activation. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I mean, the principles that we use apply to uh, a very small startup right up to global organizations absolutely so one of my one of my favorites actually is an organization based out of boston sage therapeutics it was a few years ago now but i visited there myself um and i, I met the the c uh, chro erin an amazing woman fantastically talented very smart and i literally um hold up there for a few weeks went away did some homework came back and iterated with with erin and in less than um, five weeks, we we wrote the the employer brand based on the research they'd already done and some interviews I conducted myself. And it was a very agile sort of guerrilla marketing approach, a very small piece of work. And then they activated um, incredibly well and engaged their people. And it's an amazing company. Um, so we put our finger on you know what it meant to be there. I think we produced something quite special. Um, and then they were offered the races, you know, and, and they they managed to then put all of their remaining budget into activation and proving to their people and future people that what they were claiming was true. You know, and it's so so absolutely it's it's this isn't about this is this isn't about huge budgets. This is about insight and getting to human truths that make sense for an organization as well as being compelling for people to want to be part of. So budget, you know, budget is is just the admin in the background. The, re, the I'll, I'll tell you the uh, motivation for me asking about small and medium-sized businesses is because that is the profile of our own clients, right? Because most mm-hmm. of the recruitment agencies and search firms we work for are boutiques rather than behemoths. And, uh, of course, they have to attract their own talent, right? Which ironically mm-hmm. can be harder for a, a, a small business owner to to recruit recruiters than to recruit for their client companies and so mm-hmm. you know it's um it's actually you know physician heal thyself right it's like uh how do you create your own employer brand in order to attract people to your team in order to then go and recruit you know more successfully for your for your clients so I was just wondering if there are any differences in how you would approach it if it was a really small company, not a startup necessarily, but uh, a kind of scale up, let's say, would be a more accurate um, <clears throat> description. You know, I'm sure all the same principles apply, but there's not going to be, you know, a CHRO even or anyone like that. There's going to be the managing director and then a handful of, you know, team members, which I guess makes it easier. <clears throat> in terms of the research and the interviews and so on, there's fewer, you know, fewer people involved, but there's also less 
to draw upon, right? There's less um, existing culture that you can you can reference. So you you mentioned in that situation, it is more aspirational. So what would you be looking for there in order to be able to, you know, really tell a a, a great story and attract the right people to that sort of size of organization, like really small, looking to scale. The the approach is exactly the same, but actually it's it's the activation um, that that where the big difference is. And for organizations, I mean, that's why we wrote the book and sort of gave away the blueprint, and it's why we've developed the the strategy and development courses. You know, so you can for four hundred dollars, we show you exactly how to do it yourself and how you should be thinking about it. But if you're a small company and you you've you, let's assume you've done that. The benefit of of being small and agile um, is usually, and, and right at the start of something, is usually there's a lot of passion and there's a lot of excitement and there's a sense of a tribal sense of togetherness that you can only have in small teams. Harness that and, and use the voice of your employees as advocates. People trust other people rather than brands. You know, ten ten x as the trust they put in brands, and you have the unique opportunity, which is a small window of opportunity to paint the picture of how you see the future and what you stand for and what you want to change. Everybody roots for the underdog and everybody wants to join a small team that stands for something meaningful and they need to see where they will fit in. So tell the story of we can only get there if we're looking for people to help us along this journey. That's why we need you. And play on the fact that you're not the number one in the market. Use it as a strength, not a weakness. Use what you've got, you know. And if you produce video, it can be from your iPhone. You've just got to be compelling and intentional about how you put stories together. The other thing with a small company is if everybody posts on their LinkedIn or their Facebook and Instagram and so on and so forth, um, you've got a, a great advocacy opportunity that typically exists in small companies. You've just got to use the hand that you dealt. Um, and often you can have a lot of fun, move with agility, and you'd be surprised what you can achieve with zero budget because it makes you think more creatively. Awesome. I love that. That's uh, that's so true. You mentioned guerrilla marketing earlier, Brian. Have you read that book or books? It's a series, I guess. I've, I've, I've read a lot of, of um, budget Marketing with marketing with no budget, absolutely out of necessity. Um, I haven't I haven't read that particular book for a long time, but it is on my shelf somewhere. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great one. Jay Conrad Levinson uh, coined the term guerrilla marketing. I actually got a chance to chat with him on a call like this with a with a small group because I was the UK's first uh, certified guerrilla marketing coach, and this wow. is going back twenty early two thousands. And the course was run by a guy called Mitch Mayerson, um, who co-authored a few books with with Jay and brought Jay on to one of the sessions. And uh, so I'm I'm glad I got to speak to him. He's passed on now. So, uh, but he was uh, he was a copywriter at a big ad agency. I can't remember which one. Mm-hmm. Um, and came up with a lot of iconic brands that uh, that people are you know consumer brands that people are are familiar mm-hmm. with. But then felt more of a kinship with the small businesses so it kind of catered to that audience when he became a a marketing consultant but uh yeah good one to to revisit um brian you mentioned the singer so i i i I wasn't (laughs) gonna bring it up but since you mentioned it (laughs) you that must cause 
some humor and or confusion when you tell people your your name. Like, can you think of a story where that's been particularly the case? Well, it's really a day goes by before somebody comments on my on my name. Um, you know, and it is funny because what I find is sometimes it's easier to get restaurant and hotel reservations. But the downside to that is I'm constantly met with disappointed faces when I turn up. Can you imagine everywhere you go, people are disappointed to meet you, you know? <laughs> Hilarious. Brian, this has been fun. Thanks for uh, being on The Resilient Recruiter. My pleasure. I really enjoyed that. Thanks, Mark. Look forward to it. I'm going to read this book. So uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to reading that. And uh, definitely, I'm sure people will put your website in the, in the show notes. Uh, for people to go and check out your your uh, sprint courses and uh, get on the newsletter so they can find out about this uh, story course that you've got coming out. So, great. Uh, really appreciate Yeah, awesome. That. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, magic. Thanks, Mark. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.